Well, good morning to the faithful remnant that have showed up on campus between Christmas and COVID and cold. Uh, I wondered if anybody would come today. So glad you're here on campus. And a word to those of you who did not uh, make it out and you're watching online. I just want to give you a specific challenge in this way. I think the Lord always has good stuff for us from the scriptures, but maybe something uniquely for us today. So uh, stop frying your bacon for a moment. Grab your Bible and let's hear what the word has to say, all right? For all of us, just because we're in a room doesn't mean we're going to actually be good receivers of the word. So that's the challenge to each of us, that we would have a sense that, that we are hearing from God this morning. And when he speaks, our lives are changed. So you ready to hear and to receive the word this morning? I hope so. We've been looking at, and we're going to finish the book of Genesis today. It's been our study for the whole year, 2020, and we've been at the theme of trusting God. And in this theme of trusting God from the life of Joseph, we've seen that we can trust him always. If you were here the first week, we introduced it after Thanksgiving. We can trust him when... Things are really good, the high points in our life, and we can trust him when things are really hard, adversity, and everything in between. We can trust him in temptation, and we can trust him to forgive. Not only trust him to forgive us, but we can trust him to be able to us forgive others. I hope you have received the challenge that you would not receive the unmerited grace of God to forgive your own sins and then somehow withhold forgiveness from somebody else. According to Jesus, that doesn't make any sense, that you would receive something that you wouldn't be able to then willing, I should say, give away, which is really the core this morning because today we're going to finish Genesis by asking the question, how do we trust God in prosperity? How do we trust God when we're here in life? Because 2020, has it not brought some people some great prosperity? Yes? Yes, uh, we see in the news a tremendous amount of the adversity that it's brought, but some have experienced great prosperity. In fact, as I have surveyed Christian Family Chapel, I've seen a lot of prosperity in the midst of 2020. And do we need to learn to trust God in prosperity as much as adversity? No. More. More. I think John Calvin rightly puts, men are undoubtedly more in danger from prosperity than from adversity. For when matters go smoothly, they flatter themselves and are intoxicated by their success. So it's not that, well, we need to really learn to trust God in adversity, which is what we talk a lot about and maybe learn to trust God in prosperity, actually trusting God here may be easier than trusting God here. Now, 
Has God prospered you? To varying degrees, yes. Every one of us can say yes. God has prospered us. What's it mean to trust him in that? Well, what I think we need is to establish some core biblical convictions regarding our prosperity and then go from there. But don't miss this. If we don't establish these core convictions, we're going to lose our way in our prosperity. So these are not just uh, simple kind of throwaway foundations. These foundations will determine how prosperity impacts my heart and your heart. So turn with me to Genesis 41 and let's look at prosperity in the life of Joseph and how he trusted God in the midst of that. Genesis chapter 41 chronicles Joseph's amazing swing from rags to riches. And it's a classic over the night situation. In Genesis 41, he's actually in prison for a crime he did not commit. We've reviewed that multiple times. But then Pharaoh has a dream. And nobody, including Pharaoh, can figure out what it means. He's asked everyone to interpret his dream, and zero people can interpret it for him. And in that process, a guy who had been in prison with Joseph and had had a dream and Joseph interpreted it for him, a light bulb goes off and he goes, hey, I remember there's this Hebrew who when I was in prison, I told him my dream. He told me what it meant. You ought to go talk to him. So here's what happens. Genesis 41, look at verse 14. Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon, and when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, because you can't go into Pharaoh smelling bad and looking bad. So they clean him up, uh, make him smell good, and then he came to Pharaoh. Now watch. Pharaoh says to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. You might imagine Joseph is thinking, this is my day. Yes, finally, the winds of change are gonna bring some good into my life. But watch what he says. This is very important, verse 17, 16, excuse me. Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Don't miss that. On the doorstep of prosperity, as Joseph is rising from the worst of the worst to what will prove to be the best of the best, on his way up, he goes... Not me. God. It's God. God will do it. So with that framework, then Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream. And then having heard the dream, here's what Joseph says to Pharaoh. Verse 28. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. 
Don't miss that. God has shown what he is about to do. Verse 29, behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt. And after them, seven years of famine will come and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt and the famine will ravage the land. There's a great principle there. Can, did you, don't miss it. It's amazing how quickly the good in our life can be forgotten when the bad comes. You ever notice that? The seven years of famine is going to completely wipe from your mind the seven years of abundance. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of that subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. Now, as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is, say it with me out loud, determined by God, and say it with me, God will quickly bring it about. See, there is a fundamental core conviction about prosperity that Joseph understands even before it happens, and in understanding it before it happens, watch, it prepares him to handle it in a God-glorifying way. So for some of you, we may be a little late to the game. God has already made you prosperous. And you may have to back it up and go, whoa, do I have the core biblical convictions to handle this in a God-glorifying way? But for some of you, some greater prosperity may be coming. And if so, please receive with all your heart what we just read. Prosperity, core biblical convictions are twofold. It's by God's choosing. It's he who determines. It's by God's choosing and by God's doing. That's prosperity. There is, for every single one of us, differing levels of prosperity. According to God's choosing and according to God's doing. See, I'm not sure you're really ready to believe that. I think you may go, no, 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 no. I think there's some initiative and there's some hard work involved and there's some sweat that I put in that others aren't willing to put in. Here, listen. Before you think that, how is it that God, or let me strike that because you're not thinking that way. How is it that you have more initiative than other folks? Where'd that come from? God? How is it that you're a little smarter than the average cookie? If you're smarter than the average cookie, that's only by what? God's choosing and God's doing. If you miss these core biblical convictions, we will not handle prosperity well. It all comes down to this. God has absolute authority to prosper you as much as he wants and prosper you as much as he wants and prosper you as well. It's his authority, but it's not only his authority. He then has the power to do what his authority gives him. See, 
The choosing is about authority. The doing is about the, is about the power to fulfill the authority. And so prosperity is about what? God's choosing and God's doing. You believe that? Believe that for you? Choosing and doing of God is the foundation for what we believe about prosperity. Now, uh, here's what's important. Joseph not only believed it for Egypt, for Pharaoh. He not only believed it globally, he believed it personally. You know how I know? Because later in chapter 41, God prospers him with two boys, children. And he doesn't look up in a book, what would a good name be? So if God prospers you with a child, please don't ask, what's a good sounding name? Ask yourself this, what would reflect your core convictions about God in that child? Verse 51, Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh. Why? For he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. In other words, what's he saying? I spent a lot of life in hardship and trouble. But part of God prospering me has been giving me a son. And I'm going to recognize that was the gift of God. Gift of God. What did he name his secondborn? Next verse. He named his second Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Who made him fruitful? His diligence. No? His perseverance. No? God. See, you and I are prone to take credit... Well, I endured. I didn't give up. I, I just worked hard. And you and I are going to lose our way in our prosperity if the first thing that doesn't come out of our mouth regarding prosperity is God. God's choosing. God's doing. That is the core. Joseph believed it's God's choosing, God's doing. Look what he says to his brothers. When he finally reveals himself in Genesis 45, he says, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God is the one who sent me here. God is the one who placed me in Pharaoh's house. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. You get it? God did it. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord. See, his first thought, that comes out of his mouth when he speaks to prosperity, 
whether it's his ability to interpret dreams, whether it's his blessing of children, or whether it's position in life, what's his first word? It's not in me, it's, it's God. Don't miss that. It's right there in the text. And it is intended for you and I to learn that our prosperity is by God's choosing and by God's doing. Now let me show you why it matters so much. It really matters that we have these core convictions. Turn from Genesis to Daniel. Daniel chapter four in your Bible. A little bit past halfway, Daniel chapter four. Daniel 4 speaks of the king of the greatest nation on the planet at the time. Babylon was the nation, the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel 4 has Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, out on his rooftop. And by the way, it seems like when most men are out on their rooftop, they do stupid things. Just a little note from the scripture I picked up. So stay off your rooftop, guys. He's out on his rooftop, verse 30 of Daniel 4. The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon, as he looks out over the city, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. You see how God is just all over that? Do you see it? You see how God's all over that? No, God's nowhere even in it. <laughs> Who's in it? Me and my power and my glory and my kingdom, my residence. He had no core biblical convictions or understanding about prosperity. And here's the great thing about God. He is the great teacher. Now, if you don't get it, by my words, by God's word, he'll have a way of teaching you. Watch what happens. Verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty, all that might, power, and stuff that you have, it's being removed from you. How? You'll be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field. You'll be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time, we probably think seven years in other words, will pass over you until you recognize that the most high, who are we talking about there? That God is ruler over the realm of mankind and he bestows it on Whomever he wishes. You see, what's Nebuchadnezzar need to learn? What's he need to learn? <laughs> 
Nebuchadnezzar, it's about God's choosing and God's doing. Watch. And God says, I put you here, and you thought it was about you. And you think you got yourself here. And you think it's about your glory. So I'm going to whack it. And I'm going to put you on the ground like an animal with no prosperity until you learn what? This is God's choosing and this is God's doing. God's a committed teacher. Does he get it? Seven years later, look at verse 35. The same king who stood on the rooftop and spouted a bunch of me and my junk out of his mouth. Here's what now comes out of his mouth seven years later. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Don't go past there. What did he just say about himself? Nothing. I'm a nobody. (laughs) But he, who's he talking about now? God does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. In other words, he does it in heaven heaven, and he does it on earth and no one can ward off his hand. If God moves, you're not gonna stop him. No one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? What can you say? Well, here's what he says, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. Not me, myself, my power, my glory. I uh, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and his ways just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. See, if you could just not miss this. Core convictions about prosperity will lead to some critical refusals. And it's these refusals, watch, it's these refusals will really reveal whether your convictions are biblical or not. God's choosing, God's doing. The first refusal, straight from Nebuchadnezzar, is this. I will refuse to allow prosperity to make me proud. It used to make me proud. (laughs) Now, what's it make me do? Honor, praise, and exalt the one who chooses and does. It's his choosing. It's his doing. And therefore, because it's him and his work, I won't, I won't become proud. Calvin again, what did he say? Men are undoubtedly more in danger from prosperity than from adversity for when matters go smoothly, they flatter themselves or are intoxicated by their success. That was Nebuchadnezzar. 
until he learned. It's by God's choosing, by God's doing. Think of how you've prospered. Can you label it God? This was God's work. This was God's grace. Do you know what? Grace. It's not something that I deserve. It's 100% a gift. This was God providing. This was the Lord. See, if we stand here and become proud, it's a reflection. We've not understood what we need to understand about God. His choosing, his doing. This is why Paul says to the Corinthians, to the prosperous, who regards you as superior? Because it's easy to regard the prosperous as superior. Yes? Do we not in our culture regard the prosperous as superior? Don't we lift them up? Yes? Yeah, they're better. They're on a different scale. They live in a different world. But Paul says, who regards you as superior, you, pro- you who prospered? What do you have that you did not receive? And the answer is nothing. See, if you're intelligent, it's because God made you intelligent. If you're like blazing world-class fast, it's because God made you fast. If you're a great musician, it's because God made you a great musician. If you're an average musician, it's because God made you an average musician. What do you have that you didn't receive? Nothing. Nothing. It was all a gift. And if it's a gift, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Why do you watch? Why do you put your name on what God gave you? And somehow make it about you. The way we handle prosperity, because there's prosperity filling this body. And we need to recognize we're not proud, it's from God, it's a gift. Now, listen carefully. Humility is not denying what you've received. In other words, humility is not saying, well, I'm not smart. If you're smart, you're smart because God made you smart. And you actually watch, you dishonor God when he made you smart and you go, no, I'm not really smart. If God has gifted you, humility is not to deny the gifts. Humility is to (laughs) acknowledge God gave it to me. This is why the scripture says, 1 Corinthians 1, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, if my only boast is boast in the Lord, it's a reflection that I recognize everything I have, it's been a gift. So we go, Thank you. It's the Lord. Man, your company has just killed it. It's not humble to go, 
nah, 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 nah. It's humble to go, God's been gracious to us. How has God prospered you? Is God's name on it? Or have you been putting your name on it? See, my, my, my goal is not this morning to scare you. God's going to get you like Nebuchadnezzar. No, my goal is for you to simply go, Lord, I don't need the Nebuchadnezzar lesson. Quickly, as soon as it comes into my, mouth, into my mind, I go, stupid thought, God, stupid thought. It's your grace. It's your gift. What I have is from you. So, we learn from Job. Was it prosperous? Whoo, big time. And then Job, who family and fortune was like at the top of the world, Wiped out, literally. Like, whole family, wiped out. Fortune, wiped out. What do you do with that? Well, you make sure you refuse to allow prosperity to determine your happiness. Right? Come back to what Job said in a moment. But you determine now, if God is the one who's chosen, chosen to make me prosperous to whatever level, and it's his doing, I'm not going to base my happiness on the gifts. I'm going to base my happiness on the, the giver of the gifts. Because he may choose to do differently in 2021 than he did in 2020. This is why Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy. He's saying, hey, Timothy, as a pastor, instruct the people in your church. So I am instructing you, Christian Family Chapel, as a part of this church, I am instructing you who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Why? Why? Because <laughs> they're uncertain. That's why. Fix it on God, who is not uncertain. Does God give? Does God take away? Yes. Does God make prosperous? Yes. Does God allow adversity to come? Yes. Don't fix your hope on the outcomes. Fix your hope on the one who holds all things, who has the sovereignty to choose and to do according to his pleasure, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. What Job say when it was all taken away? He arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Not because when it's all taken away, we don't grieve, but we don't stop there. He fell to the ground and he... He worshiped. Here's how he worshiped. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord. See, we just don't want to say this, but let's say it. And the Lord has taken away. Can the Lord take away? Yes. 
It's as much as, much his authority to take away as it was his authority to, to give. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord because my happiness and my worship is not dependent upon my prosperity. It's dependent, it's rooted in the Lord. And so he's, the text says, through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. He simply said, it's God's choosing and God's doing. I cannot, and you're going, you've said that like seven times now. I cannot overemphasize the critical nature that the core biblical convictions are rooted into our heart and mind so that in all of the circumstances of life and specifically our prosperity, God's choosing, God's doing, but my worship will be of him, not in my status, not in my prosperity. Because if it becomes my happiness rooted in my elevation, in my prosperity, in my wealth, in my blessing, when the Lord chooses to take away, then my happiness is gone and it's revealed. It was never in him, the giver. It was just in the gifts. So let's not allow our prosperity determine our happiness. And here's the secret for not allowing that to happen. Refuse to allow prosperity to only bless you. You see, <laughs> when I believe it's from him, according to his authority, according to his choosing and doing, I recognize what Joseph recognized. This was more than just about me. Is your prosperity more than just about you? See, what's Joseph say? If you go back to Genesis chapter 50, he says, as for you to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve Many people alive. When God, watch, when God took Joseph out of the dungeon and he made his story a story from rags to riches, from poverty to wealth, to prisoner to second in command, it was not just about blessing Joseph. Joseph understood God has made me prosperous so that many people will live, that it would go beyond me. He has blessed me in order that I would become a funnel that does what? Blesses others. Listen, God's blessing of prosperity is never meant to pull. It's meant to flow, flow, flow. It's never meant to bless only me. And so Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, don't fix your hope on the stuff. Fix your hope on God because the stuff is uncertain, but God is always faithful. And then he says, here's how you don't let it become the source of your happiness. 
Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Why does God prosper you? So that it would flow. So that that you would have the privilege of not only blessing God for how he has provided for you, but that it would result in provision for others as well. It's generosity. I just want to take a moment, CFC, and praise God for your generosity. In, In 2020, your generosity towards this ministry has been unmatched in in any other year. In a time where there was thought there was going to be a great squeeze, generosity throughout this year positioned us in our budget like we've not known in 20 years. And it didn't stop with just this local body. Your generosity finished off a facility in Spain for a group of believers on the other side of the globe to worship together. Your generosity blessed the poor in Bangladesh. It blessed with oxygen those with COVID in Bangladesh. And this December, maybe you read about the Blind Children's Fund that our our children's ministry said that for like children born in and around Mombasa where one of our commended missionaries serves, there's a tremendous amount of blindness because of cataracts in children. You know, cataracts we normally think of as old people, right? I need to worry about cataracts. Children with cataracts. And for like $200, a cataract in Mombasa can be removed. And so if a child has two cataracts, one in each, for $400, you can give a blind children sight. That's amazing, is it not? Yeah, you go, whoa, seriously? Who in this room, who listening wouldn't go, I'd give a lot more than $400 to be able to see? So our children's ministry said, we're going to try and raise $600 from our kids. And then people started hearing. And I'm not sure where we are. I couldn't grab last email, uh, plus some I know about, or over $12,000 for kids to see. Our prosperity, Christian Family Chapel, it's not meant to stop with us. It's meant to what? Flow. And when will it flow? Don't miss this. It'll flow when I don't think, oh, this is what my happiness is dependent upon. If my happiness is dependent upon here, I'm not giving it away. (laughs) Look, you give away my happiness. But if my happiness is not dependent upon here, then I can let it flow. Because it's God's choosing and God's doing. So... Paul says, to encourage you to be generous. Now he, God, 
who supplies seed to the, to the sower. You know what the sower does with seed? He lets it flow. He doesn't hoard it in his pocket. He doesn't put it in a box and stack it in the barn. Because seed in the barn does what? Doesn't do nothing. <laughs> but seed cast out into the field, it produces fruit. So who's he give seed to? Sowers. And bread for food will supply and multiply. Multiply your seed for for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all collection. No, for all liberality. What's that? Flow. Enriched for flow, which through us producing thanksgiving to God. This is my point. Verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. I love this because if you've like drifted off, if you have left the room in your thoughts, please come back right now. Because the whole point of this message is this. Prosperity has an end goal. When God blesses us, what's the end goal? Many thanksgivings to God. See, if it stops with me, hey, I'm thankful, but there's not many thankful. But if I catch that prosperity is by God's choosing and by God's doing and my happiness is not there, I'm not proud because of it, because it wasn't me, it was the Lord. And he gave it to me, not only to provide for me, but to flow, to bless others. When I bless others, then guess what? I'm thanking God and they are thanking God. When our prosperity is rooted in its core biblical convictions, choosing and doing by God, we won't be proud. Our happiness won't be rooted in it. And because our happiness is not rooted in it, we won't be like, Ugh, I got to keep this for me. We'll let it flow. And the end result, don't miss it. The end result is more people giving more thanks to God. Why? Because it was ultimately him who gave it. We just got to be the funnel through which it flowed. So a really encouraging moment for me this week. A snail mail letter. Never happens. Doug, from a kid who was in my youth group in like 1992, and I have not heard from in more than a decade. Well, despite all the crazy this year, God has and always does provide. In fact, he has provided more abundantly than expected. I was praying the other day, and the Lord put you and CFC on my heart. Again, he hadn't been back here since high school. 
really hoping this gift finds its way to something or someone special. I know you'll find a good home for it. And he had a, a check enclosed just to say, I want to bless somebody as God has blessed me. So I didn't write him a snail mail. I texted him, said, let me tell you about the blind children's fund. And he was like, oh yeah, let's do that. That's not my point. Here's my point. If God has blessed you, have you simply asked him, Lord, would you put on my heart, on my mind, you know the needs. Would you put on my mind, my heart, where it could flow? Because I don't want the blessing to stop with me. I want it to result with many thanksgivings to God. So bow with me. I know the degree of prosperity varies significantly. We don't all have the privilege to write the same amount of zeros on our checks. But God has blessed us. Would you simply say, Lord, who do you have in mind that I would bless? I give you thanks for how you've provided for me. I want somebody else to give you thanks for how you've blessed them as well. Take a quiet moment. See who the Lord brings to mind.
so grateful that you're here. I pray that as we go um, in this week to come, in this day to come, that we would not hoard the blessings of God, that we would let them flow through us, that our hands, our feet, our bodies, our mouths um, are His to use for uh, His glory. So I hope you go and be blessed. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next time.